like I always say, you can't be everyone's cup of tea, right. but you make it much easier for people to connect with you when they actually know what they're getting and, and who you are. When we filter ourselves, people are getting kind of a vanilla version. And there's so much vanilla that if someone does connect with you, it's kind of accidental. But when it's a deep connection, it's because we have something in common. And and I always say, don't worry about whether you're the most knowledgeable expert or the best or been doing this the longest, because all you have to do is be an expert at the way you do it. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we are talking about personal health and achievement from a lady who has two top podcasts in two different categories, health and business. And let me make an admission up front. I was expecting somewhat of a hard-charging, authoritative personality. Now, I personally vet the guests that we have on The Ziggler Show, but occasionally I'll get a strong recommendation from someone for a guest and end up talking with them, doing the interview, and I haven't really had a whole lot of personal exposure with them. Well, Shalene Johnson exceeded my expectations. Truly, she's just incredibly down-to-earth and authentic And what I found was, I think that's the reason she has such massive influence, such a big following. We recorded the main interview in about an hour and then did the second habits interview in about 30 minutes. And we continued talking about mutual interest and experiences amidst health and wellness and personal development for another hour and a half. I mean, Celine's a giant in the health and wellness industry. She's had over 20 million downloads of her podcast. She's New York Times bestselling author of the book Push. Tens of millions of people around the globe have transformed their bodies and their lives with her help and her fitness programs have been featured in gyms and on TV for more than 12 years. Check this out. She holds the Guinness book of world records for having starred in the most fitness videos. Shalene has designed several number one ranked fitness and diet programs for industry giants, including Beachbody, the creators of P90X, Insanity, Turbo Jam, and more. But this is really interesting. Seven years ago, Shalene began to suffer a steady decline in her health. That included debilitating brain fog, mood swings, and chronic pain and injuries. This led her to question the diet and fitness industry's definition of health. She taught herself to read scientific studies as well as how to search for, find, question, and evaluate the research. The story just begins there. It's a massively intriguing show. And towards the end of the show, you'll hear us talk about a new program that she's launched. It's really a result of her experience that kind of debunked how she saw fitness and wellness and health and this new method you can go check it out it's 131method.com and it's a place you can join in and they will help you find the program that fits you and that's really what her point is that there's no one program no health wellness diet program that fits everyone and i'm in a hundred percent agreement so they help you with a personal strategy in 131 method, which again, you can find and join her at 131method.com. And again, you'll hear us talk about it at uh, towards, towards the latter part of the show. Uh, of course, you can connect with Shalene and all she's offering at Shalene Johnson. That's C-H-A-L-E-N-E, shalenejohnson.com. So we'll get started with Shalene right after I share some great resources with you. Okay, folks, well, here then I bring you a great discussion with Shalene Johnson. 
All right, Celine. Well, just a gift to have you on here. And I, I know, and I think a lot of our folks who are listening know a lot about your achievements, about the success you've had, about how much influence you have today, helping people in their health and wellness and beyond, which we're going to talk about. But I want to know the backstory on you from before eating or reading that first personal development book, Eat That Frog, which got you to listening to Zig Ziglar. Yeah. And, and now being this Zig level and beyond influencer and celebrity. <laughs> At some point, you were a young woman trying to figure out your direction. Give us a snapshot. Go back there with us, if you would. Yeah, I I just was kind of everywhere, um, really wanting to do a lot with my life, wanting to make a difference. No problem with work. I mean, I had a, a tremendous work ethic. I just didn't have any experience or even um anyone to kind of show me how to be focused, like, what should I do first? And how do I know how to organize my day? And and how do I know how to prioritize things in my life? Like everything seems like a good idea. Yeah. So it was really that first taste of personal development, which was after college, um, opened up my eyes to the how to, like you have these big dreams and you have these things you want to do. How do people do it? Like, why is this person so successful? And why does this person work so hard, but they just never seem like they're getting anywhere? And so for me, it, it was just like a, wow, why, why isn't this stuff taught in schools? Why, why don't we learn this as kids? It was just changed everything. So if you look back beyond that, even and say, mm -hmm. okay, I had a really good work ethic. And now you're having those questions on a personal success standpoint did that come from anywhere specific? When you look back, is that part of your upbringing that bred that? Or is there a catalyst for where that came of not just going with the flow, being normal? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and some of this I had to figure out in therapy because mm. I was, I had work ethic and drive to a fault. Um, my father was an entrepreneur, great parents, but, and, and really great communicators. My father had my parents had a fire in their business when I was probably like in sixth grade and in an effort to, I think, teach me a little something about interest. My dad called me into his home office and sat me down in the chair and he said, you know, we're going to be okay. Uh, but because of the fire, your mother and I would like to borrow the money from your bank account. He had a, my little blue bank account book. Um, and he said, and, and so here's what's going to happen. You know, we'd like to borrow this money if you're okay with it. And we're, we're going to pay you back an in interest. I know that was all with great intentions to teach me about interest and to be honest about what was going on because I wouldn't have even known if they'd taken the money. But right. in my head, I formed the belief that I could save the family, that I was now taking care of my parents and that that was why I was significant. That was why I mattered. And and little did I know until much later that that put in me a drive to always try to financially provide for everyone. Like, so if I was working as a paralegal, I wanted to be the person who had the most billable hours because that, that was the only thing I thought was significant about me was like, okay, I, I can help people by making them money or by providing for them. And it, it became, you know, a hole I could never fill. Because that isn't what makes you uh, an important person or valuable. And it was, it was really through therapy, which I was in, encouraged to do by my husband. Um, I was like, you want me to go to therapy? Well, I guess I will. I, I mean, I guess if work ethic is something bad, like I wore it as such a badge of honor. Right. I thought, I'm, 
you want me to go to therapy for this? But it made me realize it was just a distraction. Like I, I, I was never able to be present um, because of that drive. And I had to figure out, I had to go back and reprocess that memory. How long ago? Uh, it's probably been 10 years now, 11 years. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's significant. It was huge. Uh, so- I mean, I, our marriage was was in decline because of it. Like I just, and, and I think that it's one of the reasons why it's so important to me to teach people kind of the opposite of what you're hearing a lot of really well-known entrepreneurs teach, which is hustle, hustle, grind, grind. Yeah. Um, and that's how you provide for your family. You provide personal opinion. You provide for your family by being present for them first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got uh, confronted about a God complex that I was grappling <laughs> with and didn't know that. So I appreciate that. And my wife was one of the primary motivators of that discussion. Uh, well, so just to give us a snapshot, you talk about coming out of college and, um, uh, and having this drive. And now everybody knows you kind of like Zig, everybody knows the Zig that we know after about 45 years old, and he took off from that point. But what got him to that point is a big part of the story. What took you from the college time or after or after that post college to the health and wellness focus that saw you as well, has seen you as one of the most prolific, uh, especially on infomercials and beyond in uh, personalities and health and wellness? What's in between there? Yeah, I, I think probably that's where most people know me. It's it's wh- how I'm best known. But most of my work has really been in personal development and business development. So when you do a, a fitness infomercial or you do a fitness program, you, you know you film for about a week, and and then you're done for the other you know 51 weeks. So those other 51 weeks for me have always been to serve others in whatever it is I've just been through. Like I really do strongly believe that I live God's purpose and he puts a lot of really unique challenges in my way. I don't strategize my business. I don't strategize, okay, once I'm you know done teaching fitness classes, I wanna be a personal development expert. I just, whatever challenge I'm struggling with, I believe if I get through it and conquer it, I have an obligation to let people know how to avoid some of those pitfalls along the way. So for me, it, initially, it was learning how to focus, right? And and knowing I was really good as an entrepreneur, solving my own problems, my own struggles with regard to like not loving fitness and wanting to make it fun. And, and that quickly, not because of my fitness knowledge, but I think because of my connection to people, I had, you know, just a blessed opportunity to serve millions of people with fitness. Yeah. Um, but I never felt like I really belonged there. I didn't look like the other fitness people. I wasn't dieting down like them. I didn't t- wasn't a kinesiology major or did I study the body? I just wanted to make people feel good. And that gave me tremendous success. And it's about then that I was making money for the infomercial company. I was making yeah. money for our employees. I was, and I just kept getting bigger and bigger. And, and it never felt like it was ever going to be big enough. I was always afraid it was going to go away. And that's really where my husband and I, I don't want to say hit a rock bottom, but there's really no other way to call it. Um, it just, it wasn't working. And um, I told him he had to go to therapy and he was like, well, you have to go to therapy too. And I was like, I will, but uh, I don't know what they're going to find wrong. And we both had a lot of work to do. Yeah. And then that felt like, okay, I have to serve people with this. I have to be honest with this. You know, there's all these people who are watching what I was doing and 
thinking that that's what they were supposed to be doing. And in the process, it almost destroyed a marriage. Mm-hmm. So with health and wellness, because I, I want to get into the, just the personal development overall that you're involved in today. And now that I'm hearing that the, oh, it's, it's Ziegler-esque. I mean, he, he was known for sales success. That's what his initial claim to fame was. He took that yeah. into what we all know him to have done, which is, is life abroad. So that health and wellness, was there a specific catalyst for you that brought you into that industry? Uh, not really. I, I just, it was for me, didn't love fitness, didn't look like all the other fitness people. So when I found something that was just fun and felt like an experience, it felt uplifting. I wanted to share that with other people. So I was kind of put in this position. I always call it like an accidental fitness expert. Really? And then I just remember the first time meeting with, uh, a, a big producer and we were putting out together this consumer program that eventually sold tens of millions of copies. And, and they said, okay, so um, what's the diet? And I said, oh, there isn't a diet. And they're like, there's no diet that goes with them? I'm like, no. I mean, we just work out. And they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll you know, help you create one around it. And I just kind of signed off on it. And from that point forward, I realized like, oh, if you're doing fitness, people expect that you're going to give diet advice too. And I, and I did. And I gave most of my diet advice based on what I heard other experts who I assumed were more knowledgeable than me, like what they were saying. And like, if, if it was popular and that's what everyone was saying, then I was saying it too. And I, I never questioned it. I just took those experts as credible and then repeated that information. And in the process, little did I know um, I was doing a lot of things that weren't healthy, you know, and, and it helped me to understand that a lot of what we hear other people say, we accept as fact. Mm-hmm. And I now feel very differently about my obligation to responsibility to like go, is there, what's the science? And is there another side to the science and who commissioned the science and what what were what were the outcomes of these studies and was it peer reviewed and and just like wh- why are we saying this do we know it to be fact as a, mm-hmm. instead of just saying here's what you need to do do it mm-hmm. um and because for myself personally when i was at the peak of my fitness career i was the least healthy i've been in my entire life Okay. I want to ask about that. And I do all that you just talked about, of course, you know, the peer review, that's my wife's a brain researcher and my, my main business partner is a functional medicine doc. So I live amongst that and I'm still trying <laughs> to decipher it all. So I do want to get into that because I love your latest initiative on that. But yeah, just what you were talking about there, I listened to or read something of yours as I was researching you and you ta- you, you made the statement of you thought exercise could cancel out diet which I, mean, I come from a past, I was a pro cyclist and you just eat everything but the kitchen table to fuel yeah. whatever and your carbs and sugars. And my weekly uh, weeknight was a walk down to Seven Eleven to get a pint of Ben and Jerry's and eat a couple of Reese's cups on the way back and then go out and ride 
five hours the next day. And yet my performance showed that it was up and down and up and down. So you, and I, re- I pulled this, I think right off your site, you said, I sacrificed sleep to fit in more time to work out, run my business. My health suffered as a result after a brain scan revealed I had severe ADD and was on the way to Alzheimer's disease. I learned that much of the damage was due to my diet. When I mm-hmm. learned the effect our gut and inflammation has on our metabolism, hormones, weight, brains, and health. And I saw the changes in my own life. I had to share how did people not know about this? And that's how the one, three, one diet came about. So I, and I do want to dive into the one, three, one diet, but that was, yeah. that's gotta be a significant. I mean, you're just being taken out of your, I mean, this is your platform and to be taken out, it had to be pretty humbling. It was, I sat in the doctor's office and I remember, um, the doctor had like my results laying across his desk and just this kind of distressed look on his face. And I thought, well, I don't have anything to worry about. I, I'm a fitness expert. And, um, when they started going over my results, which were a brain spect, where you can see blood flow in the brain, as well as my nutritional panel, it was just very clear to me that it didn't matter how many followers I had in social media or how many exercise DVDs I'd sold. In this moment, I was being told, there's a major problem with your health. Right. And I was... I. I felt like, can, can you retest me? This can't be. I do everything right. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that what was right was really just the advice of other people who I didn't, I never questioned who, what, what the authority was of the other experts that I was kind of regurgitating and listening to their advice. And, and, and so for me, it was a wake up call. And I did a 180 in terms of the advice that I was giving, the, the approach that I was taking and how I viewed my responsibility. Because as I had mentioned, until that point, when someone asked me about diet, I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. That looks good to me. You know what I mean? I just would listen to what other people say and repeat it. I didn't understand what uh, significance there was when you give people advice you're, about their health. You're literally taking their lives into your hands. And to think that I had cut myself short of years and in doing so, shared advice that w- had maybe done the same thing to others, right. um, just was like, I, it doesn't matter what it does to my career from this day forward, everything's going to be different. And I literally did a 180 that day. Well, as you are talking today, and we're going to get into somewhat of the, there is no one size fits all. There is no magic bullet. I assume that this story was a big catalyst for this because yeah, here you are. And I'm sure that there's tens of thousands of people listening to this show who are doing so many things, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're rock stars. They're doing this and that and making so many investments, so many sacrifices. And yet there is something wrong. There is a, an unknown saboteur in, in the mix here. Does that feel like a lot of your personal quest right now to help them find that or to, or to free them from the guilt as well of doing so much and, yeah. and yet suffering still? What I want to do is empower people to make decisions for themselves as opposed to hearing someone say what you're supposed to be doing and then just go and doing it. So mm-hmm. what you just said, Kevin, was, you know, so many people are doing things right. Mm-hmm. How do they know? I sat in that doctor's office thinking, I really, my first reaction was very defensive. Like, listen, buddy, you're going to tell me what I eat so clean. I do that. I actually, but I was, what I defined as clean 
there's how do we define clean? How do we define the right type of exercise? I was doing everything right, but I wasn't. I wasn't doing everything right for me. And so what I want to do is teach people, you're so smart. You're so smart that you are in charge of this amazing body, this amazing brain, Mm -hmm. this amazing gut. And it's not going to be the same for you as it is for someone else. See, number one, you can't, you can't make a mistake. You can't be wrong just because someone else is doing it differently. You need to, you need to embrace the fact that only you are responsible for your health. And we must redefine health to be something other than looking super lean in an Instagram photo. Like health is so much more than that. And I I help now people from all walks of life, all different genders and um, economic statuses. And it doesn't matter whether someone's a teenager or a seasoned attorney. When it comes to our nutrition, we assume we don't know what we're doing and we want someone else to tell us what to do. And I want to put the power back in people's hands and say, you know what? If you learn a little something about your body and you believe in the fact that you are smart enough, then you're going to be able to make the right decisions for yourself. And it's going to change because your, you know, your, your environment changes, your stress level changes, the seasons change, your hormones, your age. And so we, whatever we're doing today is probably not what we're going to be doing six months from now. But if you know how your body works, mm-hmm. you're going to be okay and be able to make those decisions without having to turn the responsibility over or handing the keys to your body over to someone else. Okay. Well on that, and I know that a big part of your focus with folks right now is that there is not one, no one size fits all. So what works exactly for Shalene Johnson is not necessarily what they need to go emulate. They need to figure out what works for them, but I do want to hit you on the personal side. So when we go back and here you are and you're the fitness guru and celebrity, and you thought you were eating clean. Now you get into this. What specifically did you find that you were doing wrong for you? Pretty much everything. Um, so, but to generalize, I would say a, um, I prioritized fitness over everything. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I both I grew up in the Midwest. I'm from Michigan. Both sides of my family and all of the people around me, adults, were always talking about dieting and dieting, and they were all overweight and unhappy. So I always associated diet with um, unhappiness. So I, I always would like try to out exercise it, so I wouldn't have to diet. And instead, what I would do is eat what I thought was clean, meaning low fat, Mm -hmm. cut back on calories, but never going on a diet, just like really being aware of the amount of fat that I was consuming, trying to eat like lean protein and and, um, cut back on my calories and exercise, exercise, exercise. But as I continued to, your body adapts and and eventually what I could manage my weight with, with you know, 45 minutes or an hour of exercise, eventually it turned into two hours of exercise. And then eventually your body's like, oh, you know, we understand what you're doing. We're going to burn fewer calories, which meant I got to eat less food and I need to exercise more just to maintain. And that just turned into the cycle where I was exercising like three, sometimes four hours a day, not always consecutive and, and eating very little. And then I was making these exercise videos and telling people, you can get in shape like this in 30 minutes a day. And I didn't think I was lying. Mm-hmm. I just believed that was possible for everybody else, but there was just something wrong with my metabolism. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is true for everybody. I, I'd never said it, it's not true for me. 
But in my mind, I thought, I, I believe this to be true for everyone else because I've heard so many other people say it. But the fact of the matter was, it wasn't true for me. And mainly because I had created so much oxidative stress, which is kind of like the inside of your body rusting, if you will, okay. um, from doing workouts that were more intense, longer duration, which we weren't meant to do. And then because I had a business and kids and I didn't want to make them suffer, I would wake up at 4 a.m. and exercise for two or three hours. And I would go to bed at midnight. I literally was getting like four hours of sleep. And I was like, well, if I was exercising enough and drinking enough Diet Coke, which has zero calories and zero fat, then I'm living this clean, healthy life. But I was destroying my gut health. I'm drinking chemicals. I'm not allowing the body to heal. I'm not giving myself permission to rest and regenerate. I'm, I'm really not even honoring my health. I'm just beating myself up to try to maintain. And once I got my nutrition panel back, I was like, There's, I don't understand how this could be my nutrition panel. And that's the first time I realized that leaky gut was a term I needed to pay attention to because I was eating those nutrients, but they weren't being absorbed mm -hmm. into my body. So I was sitting there malnourished with the brain of someone about 20 years older than my chronological age. And th the thought of my kids having to like care for me because of the damage I had done mm -hmm. was a real catalyst for me to make changes and then to help other people understand we've, we've got to take control of our health and we've got to redefine health. Yeah. You just hit on my main motivation as much as I like to feel well and hopefully look as well as I can today, that right there, being there for the kids so that I am not a burden that I can help them build a house when I'm 90 is yes. a big goal. Okay. Oh, of course I want to know. Okay. Give me some more details on what you did to deal with oxidative stress, but I will, uh, I'll just give that as a teaser for everybody. Listen to the next show on habits and we'll, we'll hit that more with uh, Shaleen on this. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. I want to come back. You've mentioned a couple of times, you know, your desire to serve others and help them feel good. And you mentioned a second ago, empowering people when you, I know you reach a lot of people, you reach a lot of people, different ages, uh, genders, backgrounds, whatever. But when you find yourself uh, most impassioned, I don't want to put you in a corner, but there's, there's probably a certain avatar of a person of a, of a certain person that you find yourself talking to or most burdened by what they're dealing with. Who is that? What are they dealing with and missing yeah. out? They want to help. Yeah. I think the person we're supposed to serve looks a lot like we do. And, and if we try to, so I always tell people, if I stand on a stage and I'm delivering a presentation and I know that there's like someone really influential and really intelligent and credentialed in the audience, I'm a mess and I, I try to speak to them and then I'm never authentic and it feels fake and I'm not myself and I can't because I'm trying to impress that person. So even though that person might be in your audience or might be some that you're supposed to help, remember that you're talking to you, right? And, and then you can be so much more authentic. You don't choose your words carefully. You, you are yourself. And we are looking for authenticity. We are looking for, we're actually, what we're looking for is any indication that this person is going to try to pull a fast one on us, that it's, they're, they're being fake or that they have an agenda because we don't want to be 
taken advantage of. So we're always looking for that. Oh, I don't like the way they use their inflection there. I don't like the way they, you know, said that. And that happens when we are trying to manipulate or, or craft a message or be someone that we're not. So I always remember that I'm, I'm talking to me, so I need to use the same language that I would respond to. Um, I got to use humor. I, you know, I, I can't take myself too seriously. I, I got to make this. There's got to be a lot of grace in my message because I want it. I want grace. I want permission to say it's okay. You don't have to be perfect. So I speak to my audience the same way that it would resonate with me. And I think of someone who would be very much like me, even though it might resonate with someone who's 75 years old, a man in Australia. You know, so I just think that we we reach the people we were meant to reach when we are just ourselves. Well, I'm going to ask a question that I feel like you've been probably answering a lot as we've talked about how you use authenticity story and you are upfront and transparent with that is probably the reason for the, the question that I'm going to ask, which I mean, there's so many people in your arena. I mean, when we talk business, branding, marketing, and when people are looking at doing stuff and we hit the aspect that so many people discount themselves, they think, oh, there's so many people in that market. Isn't it diluted? And I'll come back and say, let's look at weight loss. Is there ever going to be a less demand for that? No, it's insatiable. There's always opportunity, yeah. even though it feels saturated. So you're in that arena, health, wellness, wellness, weight loss, all that. There's a lot of personalities on there and you've become one of the biggest names in that arena. And you got to ask yourself, why, uh, why does somebody, what did, why are people resonating with your message, your voice? Well, first of all, not everyone does, True. right? Like I always say, you can't be everyone's cup of tea, right. but you make it much easier for people to connect with you when they actually know what they're getting and, and who you are. When we filter ourselves, people are getting kind of a vanilla version. And there's so much vanilla that if someone does connect with you, it's kind of accidental. But when it's a deep connection, it's because we have something in common. And and I always say, don't worry about whether you're the most knowledgeable expert or the best or been doing this the longest, because all you have to do is be an expert at the way you do it. You know, when I started to teach personal development to others and and like even goal setting and I would I felt uncomfortable doing it cuz I'm like gosh there's greats like Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy who've been doing this forever. What business do I have? But what I was doing is taking systems I learned from the greats like Zig and going, yeah, that worked for me, but I kind of had to put this own, my own little spin on it to make it work for me. And so I'm not an expert other than an expert at the way it worked for me. And if it worked for me, I know there's others who are going to really benefit from doing it this way, whether it's diet or building a business or keeping your marriage together, raising kids who are responsible and caring or, um, you know, personal development. Well, so I don't want folks to miss that because I feel like what you just said is that you are looking for the people that connect with you, your personal story. And within that, there is the opportunity, even in a, you know, quote, saturated market. There's always, there should be somebody who's going to resonate with you, but maybe we should caveat that with, if you are authentic and transparent and telling your story, if you're just trying to be the authority, which I love to hear somebody like you who has a huge platform, you've had great success and yet you are not, I have not, I've never seen you stand in a place where I felt like you're one of those people 
forgive me for saying that, who's they're standing up there because they have arrived. They have figured it all out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that think wouldn't be any fun. That would, that, that'd be so boring. I think, I think it would. Okay. I want to ask you uh, something that you mentioned a second ago, because they said, you said when you're up there, I'm going to paraphrase, you're up there on stage to some degree, people are looking for, this is my words, how they can discount you. That, oh, you're just out there to try to get something. That's always been, I don't think I've ever talked about this on a show, but it's always been in the, the industry. It's been interesting to me that where we would think that we are sitting down or, or driving, we're listening to a podcast or we're listening to a blog or we're picking up a book or we're at a seminar listening to somebody on stage and that we are there seeking to find who can we trust, who has something for yeah. me, that there's yeah. this subconscious piece of us that's really looking to how can we discount that. Uh, I don't even have anything to put past that. I think I'll yeah, it's a, it's a it's a means by which to protect ourselves, right? Like you know, I think about um, this is probably kind of funny, but the way that I put myself through college was by selling cars. I would buy used cars from the state auction in Michigan really inexpensively. And I using my own money because I was the first person to go to college in either side of my family. We just didn't have money for it. So I would flip cars. I would buy cars, fix them up and sell them. So I was a car saleswoman. So I love buying and selling cars to this day. And most people would rather do anything but. And it's because I'm looking for authenticity. I'm looking for the person who's really being honest. Like it's kind of the anti-sell, mm -hmm. right? Like it's a person who's like, you know, it is a great car, but I'm just going to tell you the gas mileage is crazy. You know, like th you get ding, ding, ding. You, you're being honest. Like I love that. It's a way that we protect ourselves because we don't want to be taken advantage of. And we want to know who to trust. In order to do that, we kind of have to look at people with a discerning eye and, and, ask ourselves, are they being honest? Mm -hmm. Well, if you can do that in the car industry, you are doing well. <laughs> I flipped my first car at age 14, uh, call it to my dad. And that's what I did to no buy, way. Yeah, I bought, buy what my was other it? What kind of a car? The first one I flipped was a van. It was a, an empty van, no windows in it. And we bought a conversion package. And my memory is 1400 bucks. My dad helped me 1400 bucks. We put windows in it. So it took a, 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 a what was it? A jigsaw and cut out the side of this van. It, it gave me heartburn. Then I was anxiety ridden doing that, but we put, then you had to have it repainted. We did. We did. We painted silver and then we put pinstripes, pinstripes on the thing, windows, the inside had, you know, it was a, like a velour, you know, back then the old conversion vans kind of thing. Dude, we are twins separated at birth. I, this is so weird. I don't know how much money we made on that, but I can take you through the next five and probably come close to what we did, how much money we made. And, uh, that's how I paid for my inc increasingly expensive cars and my, uh, cy yes. cycling habit before I became, uh, got on a team. That's how I paid for it. That is crazy. Yeah. My first one was a uh, El Camino and oh, I had yeah. it painted for $99 at Earl Scheib. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of crazy. That, you know what? I'm totally lying. My first one was a motorcycle. Cause you talking about oh. painting, we chromed the, 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 the uh, muffler on it. Totally. I remember that process that would have been at age 10. Totally Where did crazy. you grow up? I grew up in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Wow. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. Connections. Yeah. There it is. Dad sold used cars before that in Anaheim though. So that's, okay. that's closer to your neck of the woods. So crazy. So we talked, and I mentioned, I think we, when we were talking before the show here, you know, where Zig Ziglar became 
infamous as a sales professional. That was his first area of expertise. And he took his success there, taught sales for places like, you know, Mary Kay and a lot of big organizations. From that, he then came into personal development at large. So here you are having found a great niche, great success in health and wellness. And you mentioned a minute ago, as you got into personal development, goal setting, was there a timeline where you felt Again, I'll use that word catalyst, the catalyst for doing that, or you felt like, you know, I've got the breadth to be able to do that or uh, what, where, yeah. where'd you come into that? Yeah. Um, I, I had major success with my first infomercial. It was a number one infomercial. It's called Turbo Jam. It released in 2004, five, um, sold millions of copies and I felt guilt. Hmm. I felt, I remember when my first royalty check came to our mailbox, opening it up. And my husband was looking over my shoulder at this and he was like, like super excited. And I felt a wave of nausea and I started crying and I laid down and he thought I was crying because I was like tears of joy, but it was just an overwhelming sense of guilt Guilt and also fear, because as I shared with you, my my belief was that I always had to do more. Mm-hmm. And here I got this big check and I was just thinking to myself, I, I don't know how I'll do more. I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to top this. There's not enough. I, I'm not sleeping as it is. And I just an overwhelming sense of guilt. And, and I use that guilt to say, okay, but everybody, you can do this too. You know, it's not because of my mm-hmm. degree in fitness, which I don't have. It's not because of you know, this perfect body, which I don't have, it's because of personal development that I'm here. And so a way for me to like feel better about the position that I was in was like, okay, I'm going to teach everybody exactly how I did this. Wow. And that um, year I, I vowed to teach a hundred thousand people um, my own system of attacking goals, which I call a push goal. And I created a Facebook page and collected email addresses. And every day for 30 days, if you sent me your email address, I sent you an individual video kind of detailing how I organized my goal setting, my life and and accomplished things uh, that I was able to accomplish in that first year. It also, that guilt, you know, and, and wanting to serve other people, it resulted in me helping a lot of people figure out the same things that I didn't know how to do before that. And I just felt like, gosh, if, if there were great leaders like Zig that were willing to teach others, I should be sharing my own twist on this and helping others as well. And, and that's, that's, that was the catalyst for my personal development. So what's, uh, when you look back on that, what's the, what was the learning for you as to why you got that check, that, that big moment of what would be success and it hits you with guilt? I don't, I don't know what the lesson was at the moment. I later realized I had to deal with that. Why Why I felt so bad. Yeah. Like why something good happening to me. Why did something good happening make me feel so bad? And it, you know, many years later, you kind of don't know when it happens. But many years later, you know, I figured out through therapy um, why that I had such an emotional reaction to that success. And I also believe that had that not happened, I probably would have just continued in fitness and tried to morph into all the other fitness people. And because I didn't, didn't feel, I felt like an imposter there anyways. 
it felt safer and like the more righteous thing to do was to help other people figure out how to accomplish whatever it was they wanted to accomplish. Well, I'm, I, I'm uh, admittedly maybe or, or maybe dangerously being nosy here, but I'm just looking for free counseling because uh, <laughs> literally, I mean, we don't hear that often. Usually you're waiting for that jubilation from a success like that. That was huge. Yeah. And yet I have and I'm betting there are some other people out there who have had an apparent success or a real success, a tangible success. And it doesn't feel good. And we're wondering why is yeah. it too much mm-hmm. to ask a little bit of your why there? What you Yeah, think? absolutely. I think it's really important. I think too often we set goals or objectives for ourselves because we think it's going to make us feel better about who we are or that it's going to impress other people or it's the thing that we're supposed to do. And we don't really examine, you know, okay, so why do I want this car? Why do I want that promotion? Why am I hoping for a girl when I just found out my wife's having a boy? Like, why? And then realizing that we don't need other people's approval. And when we set goals or objectives for because of those things, you're going to arrive and feel nothing mm-hmm. except empty. And you'll just keep, you know, I would finish one, I would go through one finish line and never celebrate it. I, I'd be running through the tape at the end of the line, looking for the next thing that I could do because it didn't fulfill me. And I had to figure out what it was that really would make me happy. And at the end of the day, I no longer set goals or objectives based on impressing other people. I do it based on what do I want to feel? And for me, it's one word. And that word is peace. Mm. I want to feel peace. And that word guides every decision. You know, there's amazing opportunities that come my way. And I will just always ask myself, not like, huh, will that help me buy this next property? I just ask myself, will will doing this give me peace? And if the answer is yes, and if I can maintain peace for my family, then then the answer is yes. But if the answer is I'm not sure, or if I'm trying to like rationalize it or justify it, it's the wrong answer. Okay. And that is, of course, as I think you would say, that's the answer for you for that, for that arena. But it, it begs into a question that is really unfair. So please forgive me for asking an unfair question, an impossible question. Okay. But as people hear this, because I'm about to dig into your latest project, when you look at all these areas that we know add up to health and wellness, or, or I guess better said, there's no one area that will make you healthy and well. It is a bevy of areas that you've got to be well in. But when you look at our culture and the people that you're talking to, is there any specific, as you look at yourself and maybe that was, mm-hmm. that was it for you, peace, the aspect of peace was a specific catalyst. It's not everything, but it was a specific one. For the culture, where do you see us as a culture, me included, where we're missing it most, is it on the sedentary side or the diet side or stress or dot, dot, dot? Where are we faltering most? Kevin, do you mean specifically with regard to our health or do you mean just in general? Well, now I want to know both. Uh, I meant I meant more so on the health side. Yeah, so, yeah. Though personal development is our core here and that's an overall thing. Yeah. So I'll let you go for both of those. Okay. I would say in in general, we don't think about what we're supposed to feel, like what we want to feel and what we don't like feeling. So I always tell people like, just erase everything and sit down with a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle of the page 
And on one side, write down every feeling you have that you hate the way you hate feeling that. Like maybe it's stress, anxiety, pressure, um, commitment, whatever it is. Like what feelings do you hate feeling? And then on the other side, list the feelings that you wish you could feel that way all the time. Like what is it? Maybe it's maybe it's joy, maybe it's peace, maybe it's um maybe it's recognition. Like Write those things down so that you know what it is you want to feel because most of us aren't paying any attention to what we want to feel. We are, we're just paying attention to what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to accomplish and what we're supposed to acquire. And then we think that if we do those things, we will then therefore be happy without giving much thought to what toll that's going to take on what we're feeling in the process. You know, we both, and you've interviewed amazing, amazingly successful people, and I'm sure you know that there's some of them that they, they're just kind of tortured, you know, like they accomplish so much, but man, I'm not sure if they're happy, you know, and I, that's what we see. So that's what's put in front of us. And so most of us follow in those footsteps. And I think the same is true for health. If I can kind of catalyst into that, I think with health, we, how do you capture a healthy brain in an Instagram post? Mm -hmm. You can't. What, what, if you open up your Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest, what you're seeing is nearly naked bodies. And these are health professionals. And so then, therefore, it just starts to brainwash us. I mean, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. It starts to brainwash us. that, like, oh, okay. In order to be a health nut, in order to be someone who's healthy, I need to look amazing in my bikini. Otherwise, I'm not healthy. Well, you know, when I was my leanest and at the height of my fitness career, I was the least healthy. And you just can't look at someone and know that. Mm -hmm. So it's really what we're missing. What we're missing is how intelligent we are and that we are capable of, just like anyone else, taking a look at what we're learning, which is so much more today than we knew even five years ago about gut health and the brain and just recognizing like health has got us like hello, how was I not thinking about my brain? Mm -hmm. All that mattered to me was how I looked. I shouldn't say it's all that mattered to me, but it was what I was focused on as the measure of how well I was doing in fitness or how healthy I was, was how lean I could look, not how healthy my brain was or how long I was going to live or how much stress I was feeling. And so I think we have to start with our brain and our gut and they're pretty closely tied. The best interviews that I get to do. I have a takeaway that resonates with me. That's why I love this opportunity because I get to be the first and foremost student. And you just said a minute ago, we don't in general, your number, what you came out with, we don't think about what we want to feel. Do you have a, a blog, a top, a, a, a resource that you use on that? And if not, when will you do one? Because that it feels like a book to me, literally. Yeah. So think about that. that. You're speaking to me to sit down because I'm a doer. I'm a doer. Let's just, I, yeah. I don't, let's just go. Do, let's just go take action, and yeah. I don't stop to think about what do I want to feel from this endeavor, from this moment, from this evening, from this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gigantic. Well, I'd love to share with you that resource, but I need to do it with an asterisk, if I'm being honest. And that is my, my book, Push. Okay. Um, and you can see it in the background. Uh, it was a New York Times bestseller. And I specifically talked, because I'd had this revelation, that kind of workaholic, accomplishing all these things and not being happy. Uh, so I really teach that concept of how you identify what it is you want to 
feel and how to create kind of a, I almost call it like a, um, it's almost like a machine where you can create this statement and you can push any difficult decision against the statement. And it makes it so easy for you to make the right decision once you've put in writing what it is you want to feel. And it's, uh, it's detailed in my book, Push. The asterisk is because I wrote that book uh, six years ago. And there's some diet advice in that book that I don't stand behind anymore. You know, so it's a great book. As long as you understand that the diet advice in that book might not be the right advice for you. Okay. Well, I get to do the shameless promotion then. So the asterisk is check out one, three, <laughs> one, the letters of one, three, one, one, thirty one method.com 131. Cause that's, that's right. what I want to ask you about next. That is really when I first got the information on you. And I always ask, Hey, is there a specific project initiative that you're working on? And your team gave me one, three, one. I went over there right away. I, th- I think I turned the video on. I'm reading through the stuff and I see Anthony. Anti-diet, check, love that. Yeah, uh-huh. I see everybody is unique and so is every approach, check. I saw, and I pulled this bullet point out, follow a proven system conducting personal tests to discover exactly what you, are, what gets you results. So mm-hmm. me being in the functional medicine realm, I mean, that's, that's the pillars right there. There's no one perfect exercise, no one perfect supplement therapy program, no one perfect diet, right. no one perfect way to do X, Y, Z. It's individual. And so yeah. I have not seen a, I've seen messages on that. I have not seen a product. I have not seen an offering that says, here's how to help you figure out what is best for you because there is one method and here you have it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll shamelessly promote this thing. Um, and, uh, so, so let's get into that first off. I mean, that came again from your own experience of taking somewhat of a dive and then figuring this thing out. And I Mm -hmm. love that, that you just divulged that you're having to go back on past information that now you know is faulty. That's yeah. Okay. It's a weird place to be, but you got to be honest, right? So how long has this been in the making? One, three, one. Um, three years. Three years. Okay. So, and, and I love that you are a fan of integrative and functional medicine. I didn't know what those words meant. And if our listeners don't know, um, you're not alone. It's a new and upcoming branch, I would almost say, of, of medicine where you're really kind of taking a look at the whole person. And instead of just treating like one thing or going immediately to uh, prescription medications or surgeries, just first taking a look at like the person as a whole. And so I started working with an integrative medical professional. Once in that initial meeting, I learned that I had this brain toxicity and leaky gut. I'm like, what even? I thought that was something that if you if you had like major digestive issues, that meant you had leaky gut. And mm-hmm. it's actually not true. 80% of the population has leaky gut, which simply means that your digestive tract has become very permeable. And this is happening to all of us. All of 80% of the population? That's, That's crazy. How did I, I feel, always feel like, how did I miss this? How did I not know this is happening? And, you know, immediately I started asking questions. And then I wanted to learn how to read research and what makes research credible and what makes research um, something you could discount or just you take it with a grain of salt. How, how to figure out so, – so the, the first thing I started doing was looking at the advice I've been giving for years. And then I wanted to ask myself, so is this accurate? Like, is this really good for us? Is there science around it? And so many of the things that I used to tell people to do – there either isn't science around it or it was really outdated. And um, as I learned more, 
I kept thinking to myself, man, why did I, I avoided this for so long? Cause I just didn't think I was smart enough to remember it or to understand it or to apply it to myself. And if I'm a poor student who can learn this and master it and geek out on it, I know I can teach and simplify this for other people. Mm-hmm. And I do believe I was born to be a teacher. Um, and, and so I love taking kind of complicated processes and simplifying them for people. Okay. So in that, are there some things, and I'm not trying to get you to, to, to lambast yourself here, but when you, I, there's a doc, I can't remember his name, who was a big doc in, um, it'll come to me in a minute, in, in pro athletics. He was a big pro carbs guy, had a book about it. And he, in the last five years, it may be longer than that, did a complete about face. He said, guys, I was wrong. Yeah. I, I was yeah, wrong. Yeah, and, yeah. And he, so when you look at that, are, what are some of the, are there, are there some main nuggets of some things that you were a proponent of that you now go, oh, that's it's not quite on par. Yeah, everything. Well, to begin with, let's start with exercise. Okay. Um, you know, our bodies weren't meant to be under great amounts of stress, which exercise is stress. It's a good stress unless you have too much of it for long periods of time. And I would run and run and run and I would do kickboxing, which is kind of the equivalent of it for hours. And I was doing all of these things that were creating oxidative stress. So you gotta listen to your body. Yeah. I was always in pain. It always hurt. I, I was in a constant state of pain. And I expected other people to do the same, like just live with it if you want to live longer. Not true. Now I know we have to be kind to our bodies and restorative. Um, I used to tell people like, you know, fat-free everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the food that I used to eat now. My even my kids laugh about it now because they're like, Mom, do you I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know better. And some of it is new research. So even the the author who you recommended, it's very possible at the time that was the research that was available. Mm-hmm. Today, I will never say there's an absolute best way to do anything. I will forever believe it's most important we say what we know now or what we know today, and it could change a year from now when we learn more about the body. The, the you know Nobel Prize Award was giving to um, a researcher on his basic discovery of our body's ability to clean itself and clean out the cellular process, autophagy or autophagy, depending on who you ask. And and that was something we didn't know about just three years ago, um, that the brain has the ability to regenerate. Like we thought the brain was done developing and you never could develop the brain after a certain point in life. And that wasn't too many years ago. It's really quite remarkable. So I just want to have an open mind and always be looking at the science. But you'll never see me stick my flag in the sand and say, okay, you know, you can't have this food group or that food group. Um, But I will say what we know today is that our diets are heavily influenced by carbohydrates and sugar to the extent of which our biology hasn't caught up with. Our ancestors didn't have, you know, fat-free muffins and frappuccinos and and uh, and then on top of that fruit and then on top of that a sandwich. It's like carbs on top of car- carbs are great. I would never rule them out. But I just know that from a biological standpoint, it's creating a great deal of inflammation. And inflammation is probably the root of most all preventable disease. It's also the one of the number one reasons why we're experiencing leaky gut. So it becomes a cycle where you start having a gut that's not even absorbing the healthy foods that you're eating and that connection to our brain and it's affecting our brain health. And that's why so many women, you know, you when you hear about conditions, you're like, well, 
it sounds like we're describing the same thing over and over again. Low energy, brain fog, yeah. fatigue, achy joints. Like though, why are those descriptions used for every disease? Well, because they're all very related and we don't even know. Most people just don't even know what it feels like to feel good. I didn't. I had no, I had no idea um, what it felt like. I thought I felt good. And, and now I know what it feels like to feel good. Now I know what it feels like to have freedom from food and to be okay eating a lot of things than the past I was afraid to eat. Yeah, it feels like here in America, I think we laud ourselves as such an intellectual uh, country. And yet this is an area that we seem to be one of the most ignorant in. Ignorance, not stupid. It's just, we don't have the knowledge. So, but so to hear you talk about that, this in the one, three, one diet where yes. it's helping you figure out what you need. It can of course sound complicated. Like I have to become as knowledgeable as Shaleen to yeah. do this. Okay. That's just yep. not going to happen in my life. Obviously that's not the case. So you're bringing people in not to a, Hey, figure everything out and become a PhD in this stuff. But I assume that there are some areas where you're giving a framework. You've got to have a plan here. You need to have a plan here. Here's how to figure out your plan. And it's not so complex. Correct. It's, you know, to be honest, um, people want nutrition, health, diet to be really simple. Yes. And the fact of the matter is we're pretty complicated. So I would be lying if I said it's really simple and everyone's just going to do this. And if you're listening and you're at a stage where you're like, I just need someone to tell me exactly what to eat and when to exercise and what to do, and then I'll just do it. This is not the program for you. This is for people who are like, you know what? It actually doesn't make sense that I go on these diets, lose all the weight and gain it back. And you have to believe that you're smart enough to take a simplified version of the science and understand how to apply it to yourself with our help. So we do put together a system that allows you to test over the course of 12 weeks. So there's three separate phases and each phase is a different dietary approach but you phase it. You don't stay in it. Like, I just think it's a really dangerous place when people are like, I am vegan or I am keto or I am paleo. And they, they want to stick their sand in the flag because that feels safe. That feels secure. Now I belong to a community. Now I know the rules. Right, right. right. So I can do it the right way. Yeah. And it becomes so dogmatic. It becomes um, almost like a religion. And there's so much fear about doing it wrong or doing it right. And you stop being open-minded to say, huh, this actually isn't working for me anymore, but maybe it once did. It's learning how to phase your diet like seasons, the way our ancestors did. You know, our ancestors didn't have access to the same resources in the summer that they had in the winter. So they're, they're eating a completely different diet. And that's, biologically speaking, how we were meant to thrive. What's happened is because of consumerism and big food and uh, big pharma, we just believe like because we're inundated with like eat more protein and eat every two hours and eat, 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 eat and give your kids a snack on the way to soccer and be sure to have give them a snack, you know, on the way home and and drink this sugary drink and this sports drink. And and, and we, we, but we just we weren't meant to do that. So it's it's teaching people in a really basic way 
how to understand their body, and then how to identify what is working and what isn't working. Yeah, so so I, they make decisions. I'm just going to get my wife and I, we're going to come, we're going to join. We're going to go through this because it's, it's a funny topic. Oh, I've got a huge family awesome. and we've gone through vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, we're paleo. And now she says, yeah, we're flexitarian. Okay. We're flexitarian. <laughs> I, I don't like I that, don't know what, but we are looking for what is the thing that works best for me. And we know yeah. we've got amongst our family, we had 16 at the dinner table last night and we have some that are vegan. We have some that dairy does not work for them. We have some where gluten is a bad thing and yep. we have some, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And we try to cater to that. And I hear you say, but it's still somewhat of a crapshoot. It feels like, cause we don't know totally. So we're doing these tests and this test. And yeah. so again, I'm excited about this, uh, product. So I will tell folks again, and I'll, I'll be putting this in the intro and the outro. It's one, three, one method, uh, .com. And yeah, it's a significant, I, I hope that everybody does this. Um, Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a mission for me. It's, I don't want to say setting the record straight, but I just feel very called to reverse some of the damage that I was in some way a part of that and making this simple for people because I was so intimidated by nutrition. I also wanted someone to tell me what to eat. Tell me what's healthy. You know, I would say, is this good? You know, we do that. Like, is this good? But the answer is it might be for you and it might not be for me. Yes. Yes. I've got, I'm laughing. I've got our, our lead health coaches on, let's see, two walls over from me right now. And that's her. She hit me with that a long time ago. Uh, but she said, when you get to the point where you're fearing your food, you're in a bad place. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I feared everything because you don't want to make a mistake. And so it's pretty normal for people to feel that way. But if there's one word that people share with me when they go through this process, it's empowered. Mm. They're like, I just, I am so freed by food now because I know how to make the right decision. I don't have to wonder like and read the headline of a a magazine to know if this is good or bad for me because I know whether it is for me because I've been through this process. Okay. Well, I feel empowered. I know everybody listening does, and I will, I will, I will tease them with that folks. You need to go again, one, three, one method.com. And I'll also yeah give you our, our nuts. These two, two shows from when this airs uh, is when we go through her habits, which we're going to record right now. So we're going to dive into that. Thank you for being here, for sharing your heart, sharing your passion and uh, empowering us. Celine. thank you. Total honor. Well, friends, I know we always bring you inspirational guests, but Shalene's guidance is also just so actionable. Remember, you can join her at 131method.com and go after your own individual health and wellness progress with a specific plan for you. As you heard her say, there's no one diet program that fits everyone. It's a personal strategy. So 131method.com. And again, you can connect with everything Shalene does at Shalene, C-H-A-L-E-N-E, Johnson.com. And if you got value from the show, let Shalene know, talk about it in iTunes, leave a review, mention this specific show, mention her and what you got out of what she shared. Uh, A lot of you have been doing that and giving great reviews and naming specific guests and shows. It's a huge value to us and to others who are interested in listening to the show. Well, coming up next in show 600, we hear from Zig Ziglar and he's talking about making personal change and the great challenge that that really is. It requires us to do things differently or do different things if we want to get different results. Well, from the message, I posted this question on Facebook. 
Change is hard and procrastination is powerful. Please tell us about something that happened in your life that caused you to change or increase your performance. Well, there were many comments specifically on dealing with procrastination as well as things that people had done that uh, had caused them been a catalyst for actual change. Well, Tom Ziegler and I shared some of our own experiences and then read through and discussed a lot of the comments. So I hope you can join us. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.